0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 1030 a.m. and 230 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Good morning. Certainly glad you're here this morning. Hope you've been looking forward to this as much as I have. First thing I want to say is I got a question for you. Did you notice that all of the songs that were led this morning were in comparison to what we know, what we believe uh, as children of God? I had nothing to do with that. That that's on the song leaders. They picked those songs out this morning, and I want to thank each and every one of them for it because it, it goes along so powerfully with what we're going to be studying for the next couple of months. Uh, I hope you've got your seatbelt fastened because this is, this is going to be a ride. Not necessarily my topic this morning, but uh, in the following topics, I think you're going to be shocked. I think you're going to be surprised. I think you're going to be edified. I think you're going to be uplifted. I think you're going to leave with your faith increased, and I think you're going to feel more comfortable In your skin as a Christian, and your ability to go out and and teach others and have an effect on others as a Christian. And that's what what we hope to accomplish. That's what we want to accomplish in these series of studies. The Bible record is either true or it's not. There's, There's no gray area, there's no in between, there's no possibilities. The Bible record that we, we all know and have, have probably studied for years and years and, and learned from years and years, it, it is either fact, it's true, or it's a complete falsehood. Now, that may be a bit of a shocking statement to make, but you think about that. How do you feel about that? Because there are an increasing number of theologians that go about today trying to prove, trying to claim and, and offer false evidence that the Bible record is not true. Not only is it not true, but the timeline of the Bible doesn't work. And thereby, the whole Bible cannot be true. Meaning, in essence, that God is not true. And that it's all a big hoax perpetrated on mankind. Now, there are a lot of hoaxes that are perpetrated on mankind. But this is not one of them. And we're going to show during this series of studies, why there are evidences that are in support of the Bible. You know, there are many today that that want to claim that the earth is millions, if not billions of years old. We believe that the earth is only thousands of years old. We believe the Bible record supports that. And I'm going to tell you there are evidences outside of the Bible that support that. We're going to be looking at some of those through this series of studies. But I think there's an agenda behind trying to claim that the earth is is old, billions of years old. I, I think it's a money pit. I think people have learned that by claiming that the earth is billions of years old, it opens up a whole area of study that will never end. And they, they can work in this area, and they can study in this area, and they can see here, look, look how this comes out. This, this means that the earth is much older than, than it has been claimed, so their work can go on and on and on. I think that's the main, main problem with it. I think it's a money pit. But we believe that it really happened. We believe that the Bible record is true, the timeline is literal, and we believe there are proofs and evidence that supports this. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Evidence is what we're looking for. Evidence is what every Christian should look for all the time. Evidence, proof, because it builds our faith. It increases our faith. The Bible says that faith and evidence are almost synonymous. You can't have faith without evidence. And we do have evidence. We have a mountain of evidence. Luke the 11th chapter, beginning in the 9th verse, the Bible says, And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. The Christian ought to all the time ask and seek And try to open doors of knowledge. Because if you do that, you'll get what you're looking for. You'll get the evidence that you're looking for. If you ask for knowledge, if you seek knowledge, if you try to open doors of knowledge, you will gain that knowledge. So the leadership, along with the teachers here in the congregation at Wheeler, believe that this fact requires an in-depth study uh, of some key points in time. Throughout the Bible, throughout creation, throughout the history of mankind, we believe that, uh, that we need to study these things. And an examination of, of the fact that there is evidence that many of the events written about in the Bible really happened, just as the Bible stated, no deviation from it. There are many that would argue that they didn't happen, that they didn't happen in the timeline, but by the word of God, we believe that it did happen. So over the next couple of months, we'll be studying the following events, and they're not exactly in the order that the, the Bible places them, but uh, when you're doing a series of this magnitude and over this long a period of time, a few concessions have to be made uh Uh, To accommodate some of our speakers, Uh, Zane and Hallie are going to have their own event this week. And so we've uh, we've allowed Zane the opportunity to to push the creation back a week or so to give him a little more time to to get things in order there. But we'll be talking about the flood, the creation, the exodus from Egypt, the conquest of the promised land. The destruction of Jerusalem, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the life and times of the apostles, and then hopefully at the end, a concluding study of why it all matters, tying it all together. We'll take a look at the biblical account of each event and then consider evidence that exists in science, history, archaeology, perhaps even astrology will be included. Uh, you may, you may already be asking, well, why would we look into those things? And that's my job today, is to try to explain to you why we feel it necessary, not only necessary, but that we have the authority to look at these evidences and consider these evidences. <clears throat> we will also consider how and why the fact that these events really happened should affect us as Christians and why it should give us faith and increase our faith in the one true and living God. So just to, to give a brief, very brief overview of these, these events and why we should study these events, why, why we should consider these events. Well, the first thing that I would want you to consider is so we grow in, in knowledge and faith of, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. His divine power hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need that pertains to life and godliness has been given to you, has been offered to you. Now you have to seek it, you have to hunt for it, you have to dig for it. So we've been given all the tools we need. We've been given all the tools we need to increase our faith and knowledge. We've been given all the tools we need to convince others of the need of salvation. Let me ask you a question. If you have not already, at some point in your time, you're going to run on to a person that has absolutely no faith in God. They have Thereby, they have absolutely no faith in the Bible. They don't believe the Bible. They don't believe anything the Bible says. Now, I want to ask you, what are you going to do when that situation comes up? You've got about three choices. One, you can get away from that person as soon as possible. Now, that may need to happen at some point, depending on their reaction and their attitude but do you really think that God expects us to immediately abandon someone that has no faith or do you think he expects us to try to try to change their mind try to convert them what do you think God expects us to do the second thing you can do is even though they have no belief in the Bible you can keep hammering them with scripture you can just quote scripture and drive it into them it's not going to have any effect because they don't have any trust in the Bible. Or number three, you can try to change tactics. And you can try to, to convince them in some other way of their need of salvation and their need to, to uh, consider the Bible at least. <clears throat> so we should, the second reason we should study these events is in order to try to convince others. You know, there's a term used in sales. It's called a hook. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. But sometimes a salesperson will use a hook to try to convince you that you want something that you didn't know you wanted. You you never thought about wanting it. Maybe you didn't want it. But they'll use a hook, what is termed a hook, to try to convince you to have an interest in this item and to want to know more about it. Well, the same thing exists in spiritual matters. When you have a person that has no belief in God and no belief in the Bible, you need a hook. You need a way to convince them that they should be concerned about spiritual matters. And that's kind of where we're going with this This morning, I'll give you an example. Uh, A hook in spiritual matters would be something, uh, words, an attitude, an action, uh, archaeology, science, history. It would be something that would convince a person that they need to maybe consider biblical matters and the biblical record. So... uh, I want you to bear with me just a moment here. I don't have these scriptures on the board because we know the the story very well. Acts 16, uh, beginning about the 16th verse. Paul and Silas had made their way to Philippi. Philippi was a Roman town, and therefore it, it wasn't a, at this time, at the time that Paul and Silas were there, it wasn't a really religious town. But they went there and they went about trying to do their teaching and, and uh, the Bible says as they went one, one day uh, to prayer, this woman began following them and uh, she was a possessed, the Bible says, with the spirit of divination. She was a soothsayer, she was a fortune teller, that's what she was. And she did this and made a lot of money for her masters there at Philippi. But she went around following Paul and Silas and Luke and, and others that were there at that time saying that these men are servants of the Most High God. True. She also said that they show us the, show us us the way to salvation. Also true. But she did this day after day after day and finally Paul got tired of it. I'm not sure why he, he decided it was was a problem but I'm sure it was. I'm sure he was correct. But anyway, he turns around to her and he commands that spirit of divination to come out of her. And it did. And as you can imagine, her masters were not happy. They just lost their meal ticket. And they they didn't think that was a, a very good... A very good thing for them. And they had a lot of power and authority in that region at that time. So they had Paul and Silas and the others brought before the magistrates. And they were, these magistrates were just as irate as those men were. And they commanded them to be beaten. And they were severely beaten. And then they commanded the jailer to make them keep them. The scripture says keep them safely. Now that doesn't mean keep them from harm. That means you don't let them get away. Whatever happened, they do not get away. So he does. The Bible says he thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast with the stocks. So he chained them up. He shut all the doors. They were in the inner prison. And I want you to think about this maybe in a little different way than you ever have before. Think about from that man's point of view, the jailer's point of view. When he thrust them into the center prison, he didn't, he didn't ask them why they were being placed there. He wasn't interested in, in any injustices that might be being done to them. He was just doing his job. And he made, he made it as sure as he could. Then along about midnight, Paul and Silas and the other began to sing praises to God. The Bible says the prisoners heard them. But you know what? That man, that jailer, had no reaction. The Bible indicates that he was asleep. He didn't rush in there and say, who is this God that you guys are singing about? Why are you singing praises? I need to know more about this. He he had no religious affiliation whatsoever. And then the earthquake came. He didn't run in there and say, this this has got to be an event come from God. Quite the opposite. He just knew that the prisoners were about to escape. And his life was going to be forfeit. Now comes the hook. The prisoners didn't escape. They didn't run. I know of no particular scripture that commanded them not to escape, not to run. I think they could have if they'd have wanted to. But the attitude, they didn't want to. That's the hook. And because they did not run, because of the attitude they chose to stay, this man was about to take his sword. He was about to take his own life. And Paul said, do thyself no harm. We are all here. Do you see the hook? All of a sudden, this guy's got to know what this is about. He's got to know. These men have something I need. What is it? And they go on to explain it to him, and he receives it. That's what we're trying to get at with this series of studies. We're trying to get at a way to increase our faith and at the same time convince others of the need of salvation and to convince others yet that may have zero belief in the Bible or God, that they need to have, and that they need to consider that. That's what our, what our goal uh, with this series of studies is. <clears throat> so, the hook can be words, can be actions, can be attitude, can be history, archaeology, science, can be any of these things or all of these things. So, the events that we're gonna study are key points in time. And I want you to consider that if these events are correct, if they are true according to the Bible record, then all scriptures are true. All scriptures are correct. All scriptures must be believed as being being the truth come from God. So the first, first study will be the flood. Brother Matt will have that study here uh, next week, hopefully, if all things go well. The Bible says in Genesis 7 and 6, And Noah was 600 years old when the, flood of, when the flood of waters was upon the earth. Now, as I'm sure Matt will get into, there's a ton of people that will tell you that did not happen. If it did happen, it didn't happen all over the world. It just happened in a, in a local area. But for our purposes this morning, if God really destroyed the world with flood and saved only those who obey him, can he do it again? Not with a flood, but by other means, if he did it once, can't he do it again? 2 Peter 3 and verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and the which of the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There's the event. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8. "In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, now notice this, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He can punish the wicked and reserve the faithful for eternal salvation. Then Brother Zane will be on tap for the creation. <clears throat> in John, the first chapter, beginning with the first verse, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made, That was made. A scripture that goes along very well with the first chapter of Genesis. The Bible says that God was there, Jesus the Word was there. It says in the third verse, All things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. Everything was made by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everything. There's nothing that was made without them. So if God really created us and everything around us, then don't we belong to him? Aren't we his to do it with as, as uh, he sees fit? Don't we owe him everything? Don't we owe him our obedience in all things? Romans chapter 1, verse 25 <coughs> says... Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. When we don't believe in God, when we are not obedient to God, isn't that exactly what we're doing? Aren't we worshiping the creature? Now, the creature is defined as the created one, the one who was created, as in opposition to the creator See, we ought to worship the creator. We ought to be obedient to the creator. But when we don't accept him as our creator, then we're worshiping ourselves, the created one, more than the creator. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, we see our responsibility as humans in the spiritual realm. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You're not your own. You're not your own. You belong to God. You don't belong to yourself. Look at verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. You've been bought. You've been purchased. Therefore glorifying God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're not your own. Don't we owe it to the Creator to recognize him as such? Then Brother Jace will bring us a topic on the subject of the Exodus from Egypt. <clears throat> Acts chapter 7, verse 36. He brought them out after they had showed wonders, after, after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea and the wilderness for 40 years. Let me ask you a question. If God really delivered his children from bondage in Egypt, can't he deliver us out of the bondage of sin today? Doesn't he have that ability? It took a long time and it was very difficult to get the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but it was accomplished. Can't he accomplish the same in us today? Romans 6 and verse 6 Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth you should not serve sin. if you're a servant of sin, you're in bondage to sin. Through the power of God and through the blood of Jesus is your only way out of that bondage. can he accomplish that today? There are those that say he can't. There are those that say he has no effect. But we know different. Then Brother Gary will be responsible for the study of the conquest of the promised land. <clears throat> Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verse, beginning in verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan now and all this people into the land which I do give the, unto them even to the children of Israel. Now, if you remember back to that story, you'll know that 40 years ago, there were spies sent to that country. And the spies come back, mostly Joshua was one that didn't, and Caleb was another that that didn't do this. But most of the spies came back and said, we can't take that land. We don't have the ability. There's giants over there. We're just grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do it. But God said, do it. He said, do this. If God was really with his people as they conquered the promised land, won't he be with us as his people today as we battle to overcome the world and overcome sin? Won't he give us that same confidence? Won't he give us that same power? 1 John 5 and verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, I want you to notice this very carefully. A question is asked, but the question is also answered. The one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that's the one that will overcome the world. If you don't believe that, you won't overcome the world. Brother Sean will be in charge of the... the, uh, topic of the destruction of Jerusalem Matthew 24 verses 1 and 2 and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple and Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things verily I say unto you there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down Jesus prophesied of the destruction of Jerusalem it was prophesied of years before by many of the prophets. If this event really happened, as it was prophesied by Jesus in the Old Testament, it's an illustration of the end of an age, the end of an era, which was the law of Moses. It illustrates the coming end of a new age, the Christian age, ushered in by the blood of Christ. Where God's salvation is available only because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You might think, what does that that event have to do with this? Well, I think you see what that event has to do with it. If we don't follow that event, if we don't understand what that event means, then we're not going to follow Jesus. We're not going to allow him to be our Savior. And he's the only way. So shouldn't we accept Jesus as the only true path to, to uh, salvation and eternal life? Romans 10 and 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law, that old law. He's the end of it. He's taking it out of the way. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Everyone. John 14 and 6, we all know very well. Jesus saith to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There's no other way. The old old law won't work. Jesus took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And now he is the only way. He's the truth. He's the life. And he's the only way. Then I believe Brother Britt and Brother uh, Josh are going to be uh, each taking a part of, the, of Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Acts chapter 3 and verse 26. Until you, first God, until you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. We see the results of everything about Jesus. This was his reason for God sending him. If God really sent his son to live and die, to be resurrected, to give us hope, shouldn't we accept him as such? Shouldn't we give him that honor? Shouldn't we accept him as our Savior and submit to him in all parts of our life? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16 through 19. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. And if, excuse me, I got that on there twice. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men, most miserable. You ever thought about the resurrection of Christ in that way? If Christ is not raised, we don't have any hope. Paul said, we're of all men most miserable. He goes on to say, but Christ was raised. He was raised. And therefore, we have hope of resurrection. That's, that's the big part of the life Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We've got to be reconciled to God through Jesus. Romans 5 and verse 10. For if, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. I don't guess there's a more important topic to the Christian than the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. After that, Brandon will be responsible for the topic of the apostles, their lives, and their teachings. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the Bible says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. We recognize this as the great commission. This was Jesus telling the apostles, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Go and make disciples of everybody. That's, That's the commandment. Verse 20 says, Teaching them, or again, making them disciples, teaching them to observe all things. So if this group of men really lived and were inspired by the Holy Spirit, as Jesus promised they would be, shouldn't we as Christians remain steadfast in the doctrine that they lived and died to promote? They lived to write these things down, to make sure we had them, and they died in support of them. They lived and died for these things. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we strive to be steadfast in that doctrine? And to spread the gospel as they did. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. This is, this is on the day of Pentecost. Or shortly after the day of Pentecost. Excuse me. And I want you to notice that the, the disciples at that time, those that were following, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So it had already begun. And they, began, they, they followed steadfastly in these things. And then as you go throughout Acts, the book of Acts, and into the epistles, you see that people began that on the day of Pentecost. And then they began to spread out after a little time. They began to spread out to other areas. And you know what they did? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They begin to to involve others. They began to establish congregation. You know what those congregations did? They followed steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and they began to, to try to spread it as well. Shouldn't we continue in that effort today? Isn't that our responsibility? So, what do we gain from studying these events? What do we, what do we get out of it? <clears throat> First of all, it, should serve, as I've said before, as a key to building faith. It should strengthen our faith. When we come to a full realization that these events actually happened in real time, it ought to just automatically increase our faith. Knowing that God performed these events, He described them for us in Scripture because He wanted us to have the knowledge of these things. It should have a profound effect on our faith. Second thing is, we've got a lot of young people here. And a lot of these young people are about to reach an age that they're going to go out to college or, or off into the workforce, and, and they're going to face the world. And as these people, as these young people interact with, with peers and college professors, I'm going to tell you what, their faith is going to be challenged. More so now than it ever has before. There are going to be people that they meet up with and that they come into contact with that is going to want to destroy their faith because they don't have it themselves, and they're not going to want them to have it either. So, young people, I I encourage you especially to consider these these things, these uh, events that are going to be explained, and consider the profound proof and evidence. Of the truth of these things, because it'll it'll help you. You'll have a full, more full, and a, a complete understanding of, of all the evidence that supports the Bible truth. And it's it critical if you want to withstand the pressures that are going to be placed upon you as you reach adulthood. It's critical for you to understand, uh, have a full understanding of the gospel and of the teaching surrounding the gospel. So, as as we begin to kind of try to wind up a little bit this morning, uh, getting back to the hook. If you need to discuss spiritual subjects with someone who doesn't believe the Bible, the archaeological, scientific, historical data, the perspective that comes from those things can be a a valuable starting point in, in accomplishing that. It's not to create opposition or doubt in the scriptures. It's quite the contrary. It's to create support, modern support, if you will, for the Bible record. I want to go over these things that we're going, that many of these speakers are going to be talking about. And I have an advantage today because I get to use a lot of scripture. Some of them are not going to be able to use a lot of scripture. But the things that they tell you about, the things that they explain to you, is going to support scripture. And they'll bring those ideas out. But what it, what it really boils down to... Is why do we have the authority to consider these things, to look at these things? And uh, I think it all comes down to the fact that these uh, biblical, this biblical evidence, these proofs, have been used all along. It's not. It's not new. It's just that we don't always consider that these proofs have been used all along. I want you to consider archaeology for just a moment. <clears throat> On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 29, Peter, standing up to speak, said, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Now, Peter was talking here in comparison to the sepulcher of Jesus. Peter knew where both of them were. He said, we know where David is buried. We know where Jesus was buried. The difference is Peter had himself looked into the tomb of Jesus after he was resurrected and he's not there. David, on the other hand, is still right where he was placed when he was buried. Now, I realize that they didn't do this. They didn't go to the sepulcher of David. But the fact is Peter said, we can. If we need to. We can go open the tomb of David and we can show you that his bones are in there. That's archaeology. He was making a point. If someone today were to deny that Joe Dukes ever lived, I can take you out to the Z-Box Cemetery and I can show you his grave. His body is still there. I can prove he he lived. Peter's saying the same thing here. Do you see, see the point I'm trying to make? Sometimes we have to dig up the past to know it was real. Consider history for a moment. At the same time, there on the day of, of Pentecost, Peter also made another statement, Acts Acts 2.16. He said, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. You know when Joel spoke these words? Long time ago. Long time ago. You can go look back in Joel's second chapter and 28th verse and you can see the same thing. Peter said, this is that. This is what? This is is what Joel said was going to happen. That's history. Now, granted, it's biblical history. That's the only history they had at that time. There's been a lot of history happen since then. But that was history. Peter pointed back to a time way back when and said, Joel said this was going to happen. You know what? It's happening. It was happening right at that time. So we we have the authority to use history. In Acts chapter 28, verses 23 through 24... Again, Peter here uh, at this time, the Bible says, and when he had appointed him a day, there came unto him, there came many unto him. Let me start over. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. Now listen, persuading them concerning Jesus, modern modern study. We're, he, Peter's trying to convince people of the life of Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. That's history. He went back to that time. He said, This happened. This was prophesied of. This was told about way back when. And now we see the truth of it. <clears throat> Verse 24. We see the result. And some believed the things which were spoken. Some believed not. That's the way it's always going to be. Some are going to believe. If you try hard enough, if you study diligently enough, if, if people are willing to listen to you and, you and you go long enough with them and you're patient enough with them, some are going to believe. Some are not. That's just the nature of the beast. Acts chapter 2 and 16, science is is very, very straightforward to me. Paul writing to Timothy here in his letter to Timothy said, Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. So Paul was writing to Timothy, and he said, Timothy, there's bad science. It's false science. It's not true, it's worthless. Avoid it. But by writing that, he's also saying, you know what? There's science that is, is true. It is good. It is helpful. It is encouraging. It supports Scripture. There's good science out there as well. Avoid the bad science, but hold to the good science. <clears throat> I don't know if any of the guys are going to speak about it, astrology uh, but you certainly could. This is a bad picture, but it's a picture it 's it's an actual picture it 's a picture taken from outer space uh, with a telephoto lens. You can see the moon in the background here, and I don 't know if you can see it, but there's a few few points that you might see the stars. it 's an actual picture, a complete picture of the Earth. Job 26 and 7 says, He stretches out the north over the empty space and hangeth the earth upon nothing. What do you see in that picture holding the earth up? See a pedestal anywhere? See any strings or wires? Anything? That's an actual picture. It's not a made-up picture. What's holding the earth up? Job said a long time ago, That the earth was hanging on nothing. It is. It's hanging on nothing. It's a powerful tool. When you discover that true history. True science. Honest archaeology. All agree with the Bible. They all support the Bible record. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.